Hey y'all! Welcome to Wander, Forage, and Wildcraft. I'm Abby Artemisia of The Wander School. Each episode, I bring you stories, tips, and tricks from foragers and wildcrafters around the world to empower you on your wild path. Please remember to practice safe foraging by being 100% positive of your identification before consuming anything wild. Happy listening! Come on, everyone, and gather around. Listen to the soothing in this sound. I'm here to tell you that medicine don't come from a pill, it grows in the ground. The medicine we need grows all around us. Hey, it's me, Abby, again, popping back in to say Happy New Year! What a wild few years it's been, am I right? I'm so glad you made it through, and I wanted to take this chance to say a special thank you for listening and supporting this podcast. It's been a while since we started this journey, so we decided to start off 2023 with a brand new season of Wander, Forage, and Wildcraft. If you haven't already, go back and listen to the previous episodes. There's some really good wisdom there from some fantastic folks. And I also want to let you know about some botanical education offerings where you can study with me this year. Here in Western North Carolina, we're offering Wildcrafted Herb School. It's just one Friday and Saturday for six months, so it makes it easy for you to travel here to the beautiful mountains of Appalachia. And some of my favorite teachers will be guest teaching, some I've interviewed in previous episodes. There will be plant walks and field trips, including one to Cherokee to learn from the tribal community. There will also be foraging, herbal medicine making, and so much more. You can get a $250 discount just till the end of January. And I'm super excited to share I just released something I've been dreaming about for years. It's called Botany Breakdown. It's a virtual botany course for foragers, herbalists, and everyone else where I break it down and demystify botany, making it fun. Yes, it actually can be fun and accessible for you. Catch it during the pre-sale and get half off. You can find both of these offerings at thewanderschool.com right now. And if you dig this podcast, like, review, and share it with someone you can empower on their wild path. This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. Thank you. If you like the stories, tips, and tricks you hear and want to hear more from wild crafters and foragers around the world, donate today to help with production costs at thewanderschool.com or join us on Patreon where you'll get ongoing botanical education and bonuses from every podcast interview at patreon.com slash thewanderschool. If you're listening to this in an app, be sure to check out the show notes under the podcast tab at thewanderschool.com. Now, let's get to the good stuff this episode. Hello, and welcome back to Wander, Forge, and Wildcraft. I'm Abby Artemisia, and I'm here in the home of one of the most amazing people I know, Doug Elliott. 
he is the best storyteller I know and a naturalist, an herbalist, uh, an amazing homesteader, incredible crafter, lots of wonderful things. And some of you probably know him already, and if you don't, you should. So that's why I'm bringing him here today. And hi, Doug. Hi. Glad to be a part of this little project of yours. I'm so grateful to have you here, Doug. You're, I was just probably making Doug blush, but he's somebody who I admire just incredibly and has been a huge influence for me in my life and a huge inspiration as well. So thank you for that. Well, I'm glad to help out any way I can. <laughs> so, Doug, you've been doing what you do for a while, and I've read some of your books, so I know a little bit of background plus what I've heard you say, but do you want to tell folks who don't know you a little bit about what you do and how you got there? I guess I'm a freelance naturalist, and... Um... I guess I kind of always been that. I was just one of those kids that just just had an affinity for the natural world. Would bring home all kinds of frogs and toads and snakes and critters, and, and uh, I got interested in the plants too. And uh, I guess probably the first 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 wild you know, you're interested in foraging. Um, probably the first wild plant that I ever never knew besides maybe berries. I was out in the backyard with my dad when I was a little boy, probably five years old. He said, he pointed out wood sorrel. Wood sorrel is very distinctive. It has three leaves like a clover, but each leaf is heart-shaped. Mm -hmm. And they have different, there's different colors. The ones we, we found were yellow. And um, he said, you can eat them. You can eat them? We picked them, I tasted them, and they were, they're full of, they're very sour. Mm -hmm. And that sour taste went, wow. Kind of jiggled my taste buds a little bit. I've been nibbling them ever since. And you know, it's fun because because I passed that on to my own son when he was little, mm. he started to learn to he started to eat that, and he had he had this one this one girl that he was friends with, was known for being a picky eater. Every time every time we had to keep spaghettios around the house, she would eat. Oh, and next thing you know, he showed her the, he showed her the wood sorrel leaves, and uh, next thing you know, she was eating them. He said, "You've seen it with all the greens coming out of her mouth." <laughs> she, she 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 loves it. And so it, it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of fun that it kind of passed along. And one time, years ago, I was with a friend of mine, a Chippewa Cree Indian friend, who I'd met through the storytelling circuit. And we were up behind my cabin in North Carolina. We were wandering around in the woods. And I was so excited to be there with this native traditional guy who was fairly traditionally raised and knew a lot of plants. And I was asking him these plants, do you know this plant, do you know that plant? Well, he is from like Saskatchewan, you know, and so what we had in the North Carolina woods is not exactly the same thing he was used to finding. Yeah. But then sure enough, after a little while, we came on a wood sorrel plant. Now, there are wood sorrels found all over the country, probably all over the world. You can go out in the redwood forest, there's great big redwood sorrels. You can go on the sidewalks Ooh. in Miami or San Diego and find them coming up, you know. And I think even in the Carolinas here, I think we have probably more than 10 species. And uh, I pointed one. I said, "How about this? You know this one?" He goes, "Oh yeah, I've gathered baskets full of that. There's baskets full of wood sorrel. What would you do with a basket full of wood sorrel?" He said, "Well, if you're along the trail, and you're picking wild greens to make a salad. You don't have to be packing any salad dressing. You take those sour leaves, you chop them up, mix them up with the salad. It's like you sprinkle vinegar on it. 
mm. you know and uh, and I said oh I could see that and uh, I said what do you call this plant he said we call it Kasiatawaskoskiya of course my next question was how would you translate that <laughs> Well, he'd never had to translate that before, you know. I could see him kind of working it out. It means it's all there. He says, I wonder why we call it that. He shrugs his shoulders. Down the trail we go, you know. A little while later he goes, oh, I know why we call it it's all there. He'd been thinking about it. He said, you know, we consider completeness, we consider the six directions to be a representation of completeness. The six directions, north, south, east, west, sky, and earth. That represents totality to us. When you look at this plant, it's only got three leaflets on every leaf stem. So you think it's incomplete. When you look a little closer and realize each of those little, little leaf, leaflets are heart-shaped. So they're each divided into two because so the six is there. So we call that plant, it's all there. And we think that plant is there to remind us that if we look deeply enough within our own selves, we see that we too are complete beings. And that's what that plant is there to teach us. I thought, oh my God, that's what that plant is there to teach us? What's that one there to teach us? And what's that one there to teach us? And there's all those plants out there. And you know, we're not really raised in a culture where every being that shares the earth with us is known and assumed to have a story or a teaching or a lesson. But it kind of reminds us that it's all there. You can just figure out what, the, what your questions are, open your heart, squint your eye, whatever it takes to realize that probably the answer to every question we have is here within the miracle of creation that we're all a part of. Mm-hmm. And there's the greens they taste good too, you know, <laughs> you know, and that that sour, that sour taste is oxalic acid. That's mm-hmm. the same thing that makes rhubarb rhubarb taste tangy, and it was first isolated from the from that plant. The plant's scientific name is oxalis, and so that's why they call it oxalic acid. All named for that wood sorrel plant. All comes around, you know. There you go. Mm-hmm. It's all there. It's all there. It's all there. <laughs> Then there's plants like dandelions, you know, kind of in most people's yards, and, and um, you know, a lot of people look at the dandelions. Some people they think they're a garden pest, but you realize that they're they're probably one of the most nutritious plants you can grow. You know, one of the highest natural sources of potassium, highest natural sources of vitamin A, also some vitamin C, other trace minerals in there, and um, you know, the French when they looked at the dandelion leaf, they saw those jagged teeth on the leaves. So they call it Don de Leon, right? That's French for tooth of the lion. Now, us Americans, you know, we couldn't speak French very well. We make our mouths go, do, 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 do. we just say dandelion. <laughs> That's what we got the name for it, you know. You know, now, now you, you, might, you might talk to a French speaker and say, look, we heard this wacko on the, on the podcast. He said, <laughs> he said, you call that Don de Leon, is that true? And they say, well, that's the old name for the plant. What we call it now is peace on lee. And peace on lee translates out to mean piss in the bed. And what that refers to is the diuretic quality of the dried leaves. Now, if you want a general diuretic, you take dried dandelion leaves, make a tea out of it, and drink the tea. Now, what's amazing, if you went to a regular orthodox physician and they prescribed a diuretic medication, with the diuretic medication would come a potassium supplement. Because if you're going to lose a lot of fluids, you, 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 you're, um, you have to keep your electrolytes in balance. And so, so, but look, here's dandelion with the folk name of pee in the bed, also one of the highest natural sources of potassium. <laughs> it's all there. See, it comes around <laughs> all, <again>. there. <laughs> all there. <laughs> oh, thank you, Doug, for sharing those stories. That's so great. And that's, you know, 
the thing, one of the things I love about you so much is that you make learning about plants fun. (laughs) (laughs) It is fun. It is fun. And I think, you know, that's a big part of our jobs here is to make that learning fun for people so that they'll want to learn about the plants and make the medicine and eat the nourishing. I can remember when I got, when I went to college, I was trying to, I felt, I'm so interested in nature, I'll study biology. And he said, okay, to study biology, you got to have chemistry and math. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> I've made some quick changes of, me, of, of major pretty quick. End up with an art major. Which is perfect, because it, it forced the discipline of how to draw. Mm-hmm. And, um, and let's see, this is, this is going somewhere. Oh, yeah, so. <laughs> So, so I, so I had had access when I, when I got out of college. I had access to, to an old family house in New Hampshire, and um, so I was staying up there. And I was, I thought, well, okay, I know most of the trees. I know most of the birds. I know most of the reptiles, amphibians, and the mammals. I don't really know the plants very well. Maybe I'll learn the plants. So I'd go out there with my little wildflower book, had my Peterson Field Guide, mm-hmm. and I'd go out there and try to learn these plants, and I'd look them up. And one day I went out there, and there's right in the backyard, there's this yellow flower. <clears throat> and I look it up in the book, and it's St. John's Word. Well, I'd looked up St. John's Word the day before. <laughs> I forgot the flower. I forgot mm. what it looked like, even though, but, I, but the name stuck. I can't remember the name. Yeah. And then, then I started to find out that it was useful. Once I found out it was useful, the name started to stick. Mm. And now it's amazing. Mm-hmm. I can rattle off most of Latin names for most of the plants I see. And it just just from from that, that that deeper connection where I realize it can, it can heal me, it can mm. do good things for me, it can feed me, whatever. Yeah. And it's that, that it's that personal connection that we we can enhance that. Realize there's a lot out there to benefit us. Yeah, yeah. And when those plants become our friends, right? Uh, we create that personal connection and helps us. remember them absolutely yeah funny thing i actually choose chose to get a ba in botany instead of a bs because the bs was like a minor in chemistry (laughs) i said no but i almost went to art school that was actually my plan was to go to art school and i went to school for science instead now it's come full circle and now I've been getting back into drawing the plants, which I think is such an important tool. And I love all of your books and all of the drawings in them as well. They're so great. Yeah, it's just nice to be able to use that skill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So kind of told us how you got into this. <laughs> I know... You have quite a history, including driving around in a bus and drawing your herbs in the bus. <laughs> a Volkswagen van. Yeah. Yeah. It had screens in the top of it. And it worked out well. I could draw lots of herbs. And, and I would go to folk festivals, mm-hmm. set up a booth with herbs, teas, and old-time remedies. Mm-hmm. And, and it's interesting. I went to, if I went to traditional music festivals, they're all traditional musicians. A lot of them country folks who knew lot, who knew about living off the land. So almost every time I'd set up, somebody would come by and, and tell me something about about their relationship with these plants. Mm-hmm. So I kind of think that was sort of my 
my classical education. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I really enjoy that when I hear your stories or read your stories. Um, hearing such a diversity of plant knowledge from you is really incredible from your friend Theron, who oh. <laughs> lived in the rural woodlands here, right? Right. In North Carolina. To um, all kinds of folks from different backgrounds in the area or in other areas that you met when you were traveling. That's where it gets interesting. How do we, how can we as, as people connect to this this miracle of creation we're all a part of? You know, mm -hmm. there it is. It's all out there. Yeah. And so many other so many of its benefits. Mm-hmm. Definitely, it's just a you know feels like such a blessing to have that knowledge because it, it differs so much from different regions and different cultures. Yeah. So I really enjoy that. So do you have a favorite plant right now? Favorite plant? Yeah, anything wild or anything you're growing here? I guess probably one of my totem trees would be like a tulip poplar. Mmm, um, yay. The kid being raised in Maryland, we were, I was raised under a big tulip poplar. Now I make baskets from them. And, and, uh, it, That's yeah. great. Yeah, I made a tulip poplar bark basket with you one year. <laughs> it was really fun. And uh, I think I remember you telling a story of a tulip poplar and a bear climbing up it. Is that the tulip poplar? Yes, tulip poplars have more nectar per flower than probably any North American plant. Wow. Sometimes much as a third of a teaspoon per flower. Oh, I didn't know that. If you ever can find a tulip poplar that has branches that are low enough that you can reach and find a just opening blossom, when it blossoms just opening, it, it, the petals are, are, have droplets of nectar all over it. Sometimes it catches in the local sea, in the, the lower sepals, and you can actually slurp it. <laughs> birds, like a third, like just like the bees and the, and, and hummingbirds work on. I've seen orioles dipping in them, lots of insects. And as I said one time, a friend of mine was camping out over on a cliff over West Virginia, and he saw this tree out there in the distance, kind of moving back and forth. And he looked, and there was a bear up in the tree, breaking off branches and eating the flowers with all the nectar in it. You know, sometimes you'll find a whole bunch of those flower petals all chopped up under the tree. Mm. The squirrels up there on a sugar high. <laughs> Thanks for that. I didn't know that. Yeah. I'm going to have to try that next year. Yeah. I'll tell you another, another tulip poplar story. Yeah. So um, I don't know if you notice on the, on the gable end of my house and then in the door to our shop, there's all covered with tulip poplar bark. There's some right there on that. And, um, and I found out that it's, it's a tradition, and, and actually the, some of the lumber companies are actually doing it now. They're actually kiln-drying poplar bark using it as siding. Mm. It's a beautiful siding because we have tree bark on the side of your house. The gable end of the house here has tree, tree, bark, tree bark on it. And when oh. I first first found out about this, I wanted to get some top to a poplar bark from pretty big logs. And a friend of mine said, look, I'm cutting cutting trees up, up above my place. He was building his house at the time. Mm -hmm. He needed some, some, some support poles. He said, look, he said, I don't need the bark on there. If you want, help me get the bark off. You can have the bark, and I'll have the tree. And so so we took we took a tulip poplar tree, probably probably a foot in diameter, a foot and a half in diameter. And he fell the tree, fell it uphill, 
and it had no no branches on it for probably the first twenty feet or so. Wow! So we went, and we cut that top off, top off, and then and then we took a, took a chainsaw and went down right down the tree, right through the bark into the into the wood, and then used various sticks. Um, sometimes they call them ten bark spuds. They huh. used to use them. They have tools just for taking bark off logs. Mm -hmm. uh, in the in the in the, in the early summer. The, the bark is really slip off the tree very easy, like you remember from when you made that basket. Mm -hmm. So he saw, he saw the whole length when we started at the bottom of that tree, just peeling that bark. You could just hear it coming off. <laughs> it really makes it kind of a suction sound. Yeah. So slick and juicy. Mm -hmm. And we finally got it all up to the top. And it popped loose. Like, wow, we did it. We got the bark completely loose. We looked down and that log went. Went shooting right out of that. It was slicker than any outside run, and the log was slick as could be. Next thing you know, it just disappeared down the mountain. Oh my god! Went right, right, right through rock, rock wall, right through brush piles. And, and it was easy to follow the trail, though. We followed it down, and it ran into a tree right beside his house foundation. We were so lucky. If they had gone through the center block, they might have, you know, that's a couple hundred pounds, pounds moving probably twenty miles an hour down that hill. Yeah, <laughs> and so, so um, it turns out there's there's a word for that. Yeah, and the word is ball hooting. Ball hooting. It refers to the un, un, uncontrolled slide of a log down a hill. <laughs> and I talked to a logger one time. Said, "Oh yeah, you dragging popper logs out of the woods in June, buddy. That bark slip loose, buddy. Log come ball hooting down the mountain, he can kill a man." <laughs> so now you learn a new word. <laughs> I've I heard it in context. I remember somebody saying, We're coming down this little trail. It's kind of like, You be careful on that, on that trail, buddy. That's slicker than deer guts on the doorknob, buddy. You'll come, you come, you come ball hooting out of there. <laughs> I loved hearing that right in context. Yeah, that's great. Deer guts on a doorknob, huh? <laughs> <laughs> that's slick, buddy. That's Uh, I'm so glad you shared about Tula Poplar because it's one I feel like people don't talk about very much. And it's everywhere around here in the Appalachian Mountains of North Carolina. And yeah, I feel like people just don't, they don't see it very much. And I love to harvest the twigs of Tula Poplar and make tea out of it for, um, as a nervine. So general relaxant and can help with pain mm. and when your brain is going nuts in the middle of the night it's really nice for that do it. yeah yeah and it's got a pretty nice mild taste to it but yeah. it also makes a beautiful basket so we'll have to get some pictures your basket and baskets and put them on the on the show notes for everybody so, let's see, there's so many you, things. You were talking about, about foraging. Yeah. And trying to ask, well, what, what do we forage for? Yeah. And, I, and I'm, I'm thinking, you know, with, with my wife, they grow such a beautiful garden. Mm -hmm. It's hundreds of plants, things like that. Uh, I was thinking, I don't really forage much anymore. Mm -hmm. And I realized that half the plants we grow, we have in the garden that come up as weeds are edible. So there's, there's dandelions out in the garden, there's, there's purslane. There's milkweed, there's lamb's quarters, mm -hmm. there's various kinds of mustard. And they come up, come up as weeds, so I don't know if that counts as foraging or not. 
<laughs> yes. Well, you know, in the fall of the year, we often go to the higher mountains and look for wild apple trees. Oh. Try, to, try to score apples. Mm-hmm. In the wintertime, sometimes we go down into Florida and try to try to find abandoned citrus groves. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think you and I were on that same that that same trip to the springs in Florida a few years ago, and like canoeing and kayaking around mm-hmm. through the springs, and yeah. that was beautiful. Yeah. Some of the most fun times are foraging adventures. Right. Some of my fondest memories. We forage a lot of mushrooms. Yeah. In fact, we have we have one mushroom that we know we've known about for twenty years. Yeah. And, it, and it's a big chicken of the woods, and it shows up every now and then. Wow. Last year, Yana went by and just by surprise found it. It weighed more than twenty pounds. It weighed about twenty wow. pounds of fresh, 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 fresh mushroom. And uh, so that so we we. We do pretty well with that. Yeah. And sort of, sort of realize that's just part of our, our, our range. You know, we mm-hmm. kind of start to mark on the counter when it shows up, start looking for it. Yeah. Um, so it's in the same spot every year. It's in, coming out of the same tree. Wow. For twenty years. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. I'm glad you shared that because I always wonder, like, how long it takes the mycorrhiza to completely digest a tree. Yeah, the list tree is still alive. Wow. So it must have, must have a dead part in it to get the yeah. mushroom leaves off of. Oh, but, that's but so just, cool. I mean, you know, this, this big. Yeah. Wow. And tender. Tastes like chicken. <laughs> it does taste like chicken. <laughs> like The white meat. Yeah. <laughs> Amazingly like chicken. I love the taste of it. So it's one of my favorite mushrooms. And I know that some people do um, get sick from it, but I think, I don't know. I always wonder if that's just because they're not cooked well enough, but I guess some people just... I guess also also sometimes it's pretty indigestible if it gets too old. Ah, uh, that's good to know. See, my like goes out about the same way it came in. Mm-hmm. Not, much, not much happens. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yay, mushrooms. <laughs> Well, um, I, what, okay, what are some of your favorite weeds to forage out of the garden? Lamb's quarters and purslane. And we have milkweed. We use milkweed when the, the shoots when they come up early. Mm. Or sometimes the, the little flower buds, like little broccolis. Yeah. I think it's so important to talk about that. And I'm actually teaching about that at the conference we're both teaching at about how um, it's just easier sometimes to grow them in the garden, especially once they get going. And um, you mean milkweed in particular? Or you mean? I mean lots of things. Yeah. You know, um, and it's like your amazing mulberry trees that we were just foraging from. Um, I mean, they, those were cultivated, but. Uh, yeah, if you if you take some of those wild plants and cultivate them in the garden or around the house, then they're right there whenever you want them. You don't have to go search them out or trip over rocks or go under or over branches and through streams to get them, which is fun. But also, you know, if you're doing this for your food and for a big portion of your diet, definitely 
start looking for some greens for breakfast. You don't have to go yeah, climb the trees. Exactly. <clears throat> yeah. So I really appreciate that. And I think it's important, you know, I always tell people, they're like, where can I harvest? Where can I legally forage? And like, well, one out of your yard and two, <laughs> go find your local farmer that doesn't spray chemicals and just ask them if you can pick their weeds. <laughs> They'll be overjoyed. <laughs> so. yeah, so usually, usually when we're gathering, we want the little tender tips and they won't yeah. pick up the whole plant. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Prune them carefully so they grow back, right? Yeah. Do do anything special with your lamb's quarters, or just cook them up like other greens? Lately, lately I've been, been a little concerned about the oxalic acid content. Oh yeah. And so we we pour up we pour off on water. Okay. Didn't I didn't used to do that, but I think it probably might be a good idea. So boil it once and then pour off the water. Right. And then cook them again. Yeah, or or just pour off the water and then. I think. Okay. Just eat them at that point. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. There's uh, there's something about soluble and insoluble oxaloxalates. Mm. The soluble ones might be the ones that can can block up calcium. Yeah. And the insoluble maybe because they're not soluble. Yeah. Will pass through all right. Yeah, I've been so curious about that. I need to do more research on it because I know there's a lot of debate out there about. Oh, we've been working on that one. <laughs> it's, it's a it's a tough one. It is a tough one. <laughs> Yeah, I know some people say, oh, eat it with dairy, and then it won't bind to the calcium in your body. And some people say, cook them. And some people say, none of that works. So I'm, I'm glad to hear what you're saying and what you believe. That I don't know either. That's where we can revel in our ignorance. That's right. We all do the best we can, right? I think that's one of the things that keeps people from foraging and is intimidating often it's like people think that there's so much you have to know you have to do fancy things with the plants and make fancy recipes yeah, can you tell the difference between a iceberg lettuce head and a cabbage head right well after a while you get to even tell the difference yeah the same with the plants yeah mm. yeah and and like you're saying forming relationships with them really helpful you start to recognize them yeah well, um, do you want to talk a little bit? Oh, I think you were going to tell the pawpaw story. <laughs> well, there's, there's a couple of pawpaw stories, but but I remember realizing <laughs> one of those way to go Ranger Doug stories. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I thought we want pawpaws around the place. We just moved into the place and. I know a friend who had some pawpaws growing on his land, so he went and dug one up carefully, and I thought, okay, they like creek bottoms. So I found a little place by the creek bottom, and I buried it, and I planted this little pawpaw tree, and I kind of tried to take care of it. And, you know, after about a year or two, it was dead. And I walked up the stream, and there's 50 pawpaw trees <laughs> right there. That's where you go, way to go, Ranger Doug. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's one of the best pawpaw stories I've heard. I, um, yeah, I tell that story actually often. I hope you don't mind. <laughs> don't your friend Doug Elliot is. <laughs> yeah, I just, I think it's such a great one, you know, because one, I, like we were talking about earlier, 
I hardly ever find pawpaws wild in our area. Um, and we were talking about that, but where I'm originally from and spent most of my life in Ohio, they grow everywhere wild. So it's like I come to your house and wander around the pawpaw patch and yeah. feel like I'm at home. Yeah. So, so one time I was with a group, we were up in northern Indiana. And I was taking a group, we were down by the river, down by the edge of this creek in the nature preserve. And um, <clears throat> where oh where is ranger does weed walk, where oh where is ranger does weed walk, where oh where is sweet little Sally, she's way down yonder in the pawpaw patch, that's where we were. You know? <laughs> yeah. And you know, I realized that I've, I've, in, in the tropics I've had cherimoyas, iguanabanas, I remember being in the Everglades one time and going out and finding pond apples. Oh, wow. And um, been down in, in the Caribbean islands and, and found the, the sour sop and the sweet sop. Mm -hmm. And you could listen to the, to the banana quid birds when they hear them making a big fuss, you go back in there, sure, there'd be a sweet sop just getting ready. You know, here we go, here we are. So, this tropical family of plants makes it up into the north in the, in the form of a pawpaw. Mm -hmm. I remember we were, we were out with this group and we only, we only found one little pawpaw. And it was, about as big as a stubby cucumber. <laughs> and I thought, oh, there was like 13 of us on this group, and I thought, what are we going to do? And I could feel it, I could feel it, smell it, it smelled so ripe, and it felt mm. just tender and soft. So I, so I used, my, used my little backpack as a cutting board, and we had these little slices. I sliced enough for each of, each of us to have one, passed them out, each of them. And as I passed them out, and we started to taste them, and we started to, started to Got this communal experience of that, that sweet, tender succulence, and um, I felt like I felt like I was some kind of preacher who just handed out communion. <laughs> <laughs> and the words came into my mouth, my, my, my head, take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Wow. And, uh, and, and more words came into my mind. Uh, Whosoever believes in this shall have everlasting life. Because they will know they're part of the one, part of the whole, part of this whole, whole miracle of creation that we're all a part of. And realize that, that that every every meal we eat, every berry we nibble, every flower we sniff is a part of this creation that we're all a part of, part mm. of the one, part of the whole. And I realize, and I realize that's a that's a gift of creation, and it's a sacrament. And um, that's quite a pawpaw, let me tell you. <laughs> They're going to start calling you preacher dog. <laughs> there you go. No, but that's a beautiful point. I love that, thinking about it that way. And that when we ingest the plants, that they become a part of us and we become a part of them. Every breath we take, right, we're breathing in that, that oxygen, breathing out that carbon dioxide, mm. passing it back. Yeah. And bringing it in. Mm. Well, so a question I like to ask people is what does ethical or sustainable foraging mean to you? Leave something there. Mm -hmm. Pretty simple. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, sometimes people talk about Native Americans who would actually talk to the plant and ask permission. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that's hard for us, highly yeah. educated white folks to do. 
Yeah. And, and if you do ask, how do you know you get, how do you know you get permission? Right. And um, one of the things I think think that one of the best ways to put our prayerfulness is to be conscious about how we gather something. Mm-hmm. We're gathering cherry bark to make a golf medicine or something like that. Think about how you do. You, do you break a branch off or do you prune it neatly like you would if it was a, a prized orchard tree? Yeah. So try to think about how to how to how to decrease decrease the damage to to the resource. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really important. Thank you for sharing that. So, why is this region of the world special for you? People sometimes ask me, how come I ended up in North Carolina? Mm-hmm. And I often say it's because of the biodiversity and the cultural integrity. Mm. The biodiversity, like where we're sitting right now, we're about 30 or 40 miles from cotton fields, like you might find in Mississippi. Mm-hmm. We're also 30 or 40 miles from spruce fir forests, like you'd see in Canada. Mm-hmm. And so that's, there's a lot of diversity between those two, 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 two habitats. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and and because, because the area's been untouched, by modern ways for longer than more other parts of the world. There, there's always been lots of people that have deep connections with the natural world mm-hmm. and with the land. Mm-hmm. And so to me, it's been a real, real, real honor to be able to sort of apprentice myself informally to various, various traditional folks that, that, that come, from, come from a tradition of living off, off the land. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, is there anything special that you're working on right now that you want to tell people about? Or anything in the past, or...? Um, just working on a few songs, writing a few blogs on my blog post. Oh yeah, you which know, is at DougElliott.com? Yeah, it seems to work pretty well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, and every now and then I have a mailing list and then people, I send out little blogs every now and then. Mm-hmm. I get those. There you go. I even read them. <laughs> or I try. Not the best at email, but I try and read them. Um, but they're great. Yeah. And I appreciate you so much sharing your knowledge with people. I think it's really important, this work that we All do. All we can do is share our knowledge of whatever it is we're interested in. Mm-hmm. Share the passion. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, we are talking about sharing that passion with our children, and yours is pretty amazing, <laughs> Todd, and he just came back and has been around, and is there anything you want to share with folks just about raising kids in this way? Someone told us one time, what you do, you find that you see a little coal, you just blow on it, a little coal blowing, you just blow on it gently. And see what see what they turn out to be. Mm, yeah, I would say you've done a lot more than that. <laughs> Lots of little colds to blow on. Yeah, yeah. I remember I heard a story from Seven Song, and maybe he was with Corey Pine, but they came over here, and Todd was little, and he just started telling them in great detail all about the mushrooms growing all over the place and these guys were joking you know but seriously about this child prodigy and of course being your child how he absorbed a lot from you and i know that you just like me are like yes and they 
are just their own child geniuses and they pick what they want to learn and yeah he really had had that mushroom thing when he was pre-verbal mm -hmm. he used to come around wow. in the pack basket he would sit in the back of the pack basket stand up like like <laughs> he'd go shoo shoo that was his word for mushroom oh. <laughs> You know, and here it is, you know, what? Like 20 years later, he's written a book on mushrooms. Yeah. Yeah, it's impressive. And so, for anybody who's listening, us children, <laughs> please do. I mean, blow on the coals. Blow on the coals, yeah. And your kids are usually going to learn more from example and observation than direct teaching. It's, it's true. Yeah. One thing, as he tells me, he says, he never remembers learning the trees. <laughs> I never drilled him on him or anything like that. He just, he just knew him. He thought so. He just knew him. Wow. Yeah. Oh. So great. So wonderful. And our kids, when we now having grown kids, both of us, um, when we're able to watch that happen and that love in them. So it's really special. Well, um, yeah, so best way for folks to find you on your website? DougElliott.com. Two L's and two T's in Elliott. <laughs> Great. Right. Anything else you want to share with folks? I think that's probably, we've covered a few things. Okay. Well, Doug, as always, just such a huge honor to be in your presence, be your friend to learn from you and see the amazingness that you've created in this place and in the world around you. So, Thanks for doing your part. Oh, you're so welcome. I'm just so grateful to have elders. You know, this, this place in the world right here is pretty special to have examples, you know, that that doing the work we do is actually possible to sustain ourselves, maybe not in the ways that a lot of people are accustomed to, but... Forge a lot and try to live off of nothing, that's the trick. If something comes in and you're, then you're set. Yeah, that's true. That is the trick. But, you know, it's just, to me, such a beautiful thing to... Like, this to me, when I look around, is, is wealth. You know, when I look around your house and I see the okra cordage and the cotton and the little baby gourd tops and <laughs> the floors with concrete floors with leaves pressed into them and just a huge abundance of plant material all around as food as herbs as crafts like some friends of ours one time said someone came to visit them and said there's a lot of food all over this house <laughs> <laughs> i know what you're talking about room yeah full of it. yeah right full of food laying all around the floor <laughs> yeah. it's true i have to constantly remind myself my partner always says to me like he is just always reminding me like the way you live is not normal, right? <laughs> so quote unquote normal. It's not what most people in our country at least perceive as normal. So, but it's quite beautiful and it's an amazing way to create security 
and community. So. There you go. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again, Doug, for the visit and for your time. I really appreciate you. Dandelions are my favorite flowers in the sunshine or during a shower. Dandelions, they be popping up everywhere. They don't care. Dandelions, they never take a vacation. They always popping up without invitation. Dandelion, there's always enough to share. To the store where the gardeners go to buy me some dandelion seeds. The man behind the counter said, Son, don't you know you don't have to plant them, they grow like a weed. Wow! Dandelions, they don't have to be planted. Why does everyone take them for granted? Dandelions, they're special as you and me. Get up and go, it's gone. You need some vitamins, some remedies, some tonic or some tea. We'll look out in your lawn. You got dandelions by the bunch of the bowlful. Eat them all up, they'll make you feel so full. Dandelions, they're special as you and me. <laughs> Jump up and shiver, dandelions, they'll make a long liver out of you. Dandelions, blow those seeds and make wishes for money, world peace, or lots of sweet kisses. Dandelions, they'll make your wishes come true. They'll make your wishes come true. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wander, Forage, and Wildcraft. Don't forget to check the show notes for all of the links from today's episode. Thanks so much to Tina and her pony for the use of their beautiful song, Medicine. I love hearing from all of you, so please leave me your comments. And if you like what you've heard, please rate and review this podcast and share with folks you know. You can keep learning and following my adventures on thewanderschool.com and the Wanderschool Facebook and Instagram pages. Happy wandering, foraging, and wildcrafting. I'm here to tell you that medicine don't come from a pill, it grows in the ground. The medicine we need grows all around